Well, good morning, ZPC. What, uh, it's been a good week. We had a great weekend. Those of us who were uh, able to go to the uh, retreat, it was, a, I think, a, just a, a great time to kind of get to know one another a little bit better and to um, hear from Todd. And um, so it was just a, a wonderful time. But I've also, of course, heard many great things about last weekend here with Nancy Frick. In fact, I told the, the 9 o'clock that I've had, you know, folks coming up and saying, hey, when are you going on retreat again? Because um, we'd love to hear from Nancy. So I'm sure we'll be hearing from Nancy again before long, but, uh, but a special thank you to her for kind of stepping in and everyone else who was here on that Sunday. And so it's good to be here with you on this Labor Day weekend. And even though I know that this is a weekend when many are away, we are sticking with our parables. And so we're excited to hear uh, from the Gospel of Luke today and this parable that Jesus tells us about prayer. And we'll be looking at the first 13 verses. And so I invite you to hear these words. Uh, He, uh, being Jesus, do we want to, do we want to listen? Do we want to have these up or are we, uh, are we good? All right, there we are. All right, there we go. I just want to make sure. I thought, I'm, I'm okay if everyone just listens, but all right. He, being Jesus, was praying in a certain place and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives Everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning, this opportunity, God, during this Labor Day weekend for us to pause. I pray it would be a time, Lord, for us to reflect, to look back on the summer and to see what we've experienced, the places we've gone or the things that we've done or the places that we haven't gone and the things that we have left undone. I pray, Lord, in the midst of that, that we would remember where we have seen you. God, that we would also look forward to the fall, knowing that there will be new challenges, new opportunities. And I pray, Lord, that we would go forward with faith, excited to see how you will be at work in us as individuals and as a community. So we pray now, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our 
hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the sower. And how, and uh, in many ways, sometimes it's difficult for us to really understand the parables because our context is so different than Jesus is. It's both 2,000 years ago and in a place that's very different than modern day America. And so we, we talked about the fact that when Jesus tells parables, he uses uh, things like farmers and sowing and seed and um, things that people would see frequently, perhaps that they were even doing with some frequency. And if Jesus were here today, right, we said that Jesus would probably bring up things like grocery stores or, or Starbucks or McDonald's, things that we are continually seeing to, to trigger our minds and to remember what Jesus had taught. But even though there are great differences in the vocation and the location between parables, probably an even greater difference is simply the culture. It is very hard for us to really be able to understand just how different the culture was. Culture is a very hard thing for us to understand because culture is just kind of uh, who we are. It's kind of what we live and what we breathe, right? It's, it just feels like oftentimes the culture in which most of us have been raised here in uh, America, there's, there are certain things that just feel like they're natural and normal and typical and that this is just the way it is supposed to be. And sometimes it's hard to picture ourselves someplace else, right? So kind of the typical things, um, when I lived in Scotland, right, people would always tell me this before I would go over there, that you're going to go and you're going to find some of these public restrooms. And guess what? You're going to have to pay for them, right? And, and at first I thought, oh, all right, that, that's fine. You know, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. But then, of course, you get over there and you've got to use the restroom and you don't have any money. And so you're looking for an ATM and you're like, I better find something here quick or we're going to be in trouble. And it is this franticness. And in the midst of that, you begin getting angry, almost this kind of holy justice as if I cannot believe that you have to pay to go to the bathroom here, right? And, and all of a sudden it seems like this, you know, there should be something. Maybe there is something in scripture that says that you shouldn't have to pay for the restroom room, but there feels like there should be, if nothing else, because it just feels so wrong, right? Now, most of the Scots, of course, they're totally fine with that. They don't, they don't see any problem with it at all, because it's the culture in which they've been raised, right? Or, or what about refrigerators, right? I mean, you go over there, and the refrigerators, you know, look very much like the refrigerator that you had in your college dorm, right? I mean, they're about, they're about this big, you know, they, you can put about six cans in them, maybe a couple of other things, and you think, how am I supposed to live like this? I'm going to have to go to the grocery store every day with this refrigerator this small, right? And, and that's, that's kind of what you do. But what's interesting is then after about a year being over there, you come back over here and you're like, holy cow, who needs refrigerators this big? This is ridiculous, right? And it's all just culture. And yet we oftentimes just think, well, this is just the way things are supposed to be because it's the way in which we have been raised. And so some things, when it comes to parables then, are very difficult for us to really appreciate or understand. And that's one of the reasons why uh, I'm, I'm so enamored uh, by Ken Bailey. I, I brought up the name Ken Bailey a while back when we talked about the story of the prodigal son. Ken Bailey's parents were Presbyterian missionaries in the Middle East. So he lived in the Middle East for most of his life growing up. And then he, he stayed there and taught uh, for most of his adult years. And so he has a real sense and a real appreciation um, for the cultural differences uh, between where we are and the Middle East. And so it, it helps in some ways, I think, oftentimes for us to understand the parables a little bit more. Like, like, let's take, for instance, this particular parable 
today. It begins by saying a friend came over to the house at midnight in order to get what? Bread. How many of you have ever had someone come over at midnight because they need some bread? It's the same at the nine o'clock, right? I mean, that's crazy, is it not? I mean, I love my friends, but if you come over at midnight, it better be because you've lost a limb and you need me to help you reattach it or something, right? None of this, uh, you know, not for bread, right? I mean, that just seems crazy, right? But of course, for them, it wouldn't have been crazy at all because the reality is if you need something, you couldn't go to a a grocery store, right? 7-Eleven, you know, uh, hadn't made it to the Middle East just yet, right? So there was none of this kind of 24-7. And so the only thing that you could do if you needed a piece of food, the only thing you could do, of course, is to go over to someone's house who you knew had bread. And most of them would have known who had bread at the time because oftentimes there was just one oven where you would cook the bread where the whole, in these small, tiny communities, there was one place and, and you would kind of know, okay, well, you know what? This is Wednesday and on Wednesday, the Smiths are always the one who cook bread. And so if you woke up at midnight, if you had someone at your house and you said, oh my goodness, I don't have any bread, you would know, okay, who has bread? The Smiths have bread. And so you don't go to the grocery store, you go to the the Smiths. And that's exactly, it seems, what he did. So he went over and he's knocking on the door. Now you may also be asking yourself, well, why in the world right? Why would they need bread so much? I mean, bread is a great side, right? I mean, who doesn't love a good Olive Garden breadstick? Yeah, uh-huh, I know. They're amazing, right? But, but you don't have to have it, right? I mean, that's, a, that's fine, right? I mean, I would have been, if I was inside, I would have been like, you know, don't you have like green beans you can give this guy or something, right? But of course, bread was very different back then because it wasn't just a nice side. It was your utensils, right? It was your fork and your knife and your spoon, right? Meg and I experienced this when we went to an Ethiopian restaurant. I'm sure some of you have done this as well when we were in Kansas City and they, they come and they, you know, they give you, it's like, it's like one big kind of, you know, plate full of food. And then you, you, they give you this kind of flat bread and you kind of, you rip some of it off and then you, you put it in the palm of your hand, right? Cause you don't want to touch. And then you, you, you reach down into that and then you just kind of, you rip off whatever you want, right? And then you eat it. And if there's some sauce there, you like, you know, what we would do with the spoon, you kind of sop it up and then you eat it, right? And then you, then you rip off some more bread and you do it again, right? So uh, this is just kind of, this is how they eat. So if you're going to eat, you have to have bread, right? So this, you know, again, this just seems kind of odd to us, but this is just the reality of the different culture and how they did things, right? So, so anyway, so not only though are those things obviously very different, but perhaps what is most different and what is most difficult for us to really understand is how different they were when it came to uh, hospitality and community. Because they tended to look at those things very differently than do we, right? So that if someone came over, let's say to, to, to Bud and Mona's house, right? If you had a visitor that came over, right? Now, now typically that would be fine. We wouldn't really care if a visitor came over, but guess what? If Bud and Mona, if they did a great job of, of hosting, right? Um, then, then, you know, then they would be happy with Bud and Mona, but it wouldn't affect us at all. It wouldn't reflect on us. But the reality in that time is if Bud and Mona had forgotten to change the sheets, right? I'm sure you wouldn't. But if you had forgotten and it looked bad on you, then guess who else it would look bad on? All of us, right? 
I mean, that seems very foreign to us because we think it would just be on the individual, but the whole community would be shaped, right? And it's hard for us because we, we use words like I and my and mine, right? This is my lawnmower. This is my house. This is my kid. This is my bread. But that was fairly foreign to these people of this time and in this place. And it was all about ours and us and we. So, so, so the reality then is, is that the parable that Jesus is telling is actually probably more of a joke than it is a parable. Because they would have thought there is no way that they could ever imagine someone going over to a house like this, right? And, and the person inside not responding. There's no way that the person inside would not have gotten up and gone to get the bread for, for their friend in need. There's just no way. Because if he hadn't gotten up, then he would be shamed. He would be embarrassed and the whole community would look bad. Okay, so that's kind of the situation that we're in with this parable. So the question then, of course, is what does this parable have to do with prayer? Because that's the question that's being asked here. The disciples ask the question, Lord, teach us how to. And so he teaches them a parable. And amidst that, usually whenever it comes to this parable and we think, what does it have to teach us about prayer? We always go to the very last line. And the last line says, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. And usually then we take the lesson from this particular parable about prayer is that we have to be persistent. We have to keep asking. We have to keep praising. We have to keep pleading. And we have to keep on it like that, that that's what prayer is. And that's what the parable teaches, which is not a horrible lesson, except for the fact that many now think that that's not actually the best way to interpret the word persistence, that actually the best way to interpret the word persistence is shamelessness. So that that it would read, at least because of his shamelessness, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. Which is fine, except for the fact that then biblical scholars started arguing over whose shamelessness it was. Is it the shamelessness of the man who's in bed and who doesn't want to get up? Is it the shamelessness of the man who says, I'm just going, or of the, of the person who keeps knocking on the door, who keeps saying, I need more bread? Whose shamelessness is it? It's a very riveting conversation. And, um, and they keep going back and forth and back and forth. And much like your looks now, you start thinking, I don't really care. Just pick somebody, right? Because after a while, right, I mean, you're sitting there and all I'm thinking as I'm looking back in this and my eyes are blurring are, wow, I could really use some bread right now, right? And, and so... And so you just begin to wander because it just gets hard to, you know, what, just, just tell me what it is and we can move on. So as I started thinking about that and kind of getting tired of this debate and back and forth and saying, I just, I don't care anymore. Then I started saying, well, let's look. Let's look perhaps at, the, at what comes right before the parable. Jesus asked the question or Jesus is asked the question. He says a couple things and then he tells the parable. So what are those couple things that he says? Well, this is the Lord's Prayer. But of course, it's a little bit different version of the Lord's Prayer than the one that we usually do, right? The Lord's Prayer that we usually says, does anyone know what gospel that comes from? 
It comes from Matthew. But this is the Lucan version, right? This is kind of the fast food, Jimmy John's version of the Lord's Prayer. It's much, much shorter, or at least it's shorter, significantly so, than the one we usually learn. It just says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. That's it. Much more succinct. So the question then is, if it's a little confusing about what the parable is teaching us about how to pray, what can we learn from the Lord's Prayer? And a couple things that I think it's important to highlight are this. Father, hallowed be your name. In other words, God, you are completely holy. This is what Jesus is teaching. Hallowed being holy. You are wholly different than us. You are perfect. You are to be trusted. You will not let us down. And then, of course, it's also the word father that he uses, which, of course, is a word of intimacy, like a parent to a child. So first of all, then, it's been pointed out that when Jesus begins teaching us about prayer, he doesn't start by actually saying anything about prayer. He starts by talking about the character of who God is. And then secondly, give us this day our daily bread is the sense of how dependent we are, right? We are dependent on him for our bread, our physical bread, our spiritual bread every single day. So what Jesus is teaching us then when it comes to prayer is A, that God is holy and that God is trustworthy and wants to be in relationship with us and B, that we are dependent upon him. So, I need like a little diagram here. If we go back to the parable and the word shamelessness, the question, and there are some who would disagree with me, but what I've kind of come down to is the fact that perhaps it's fairly ambiguous because the answer to whose shamelessness is it is yes. The reality is it is both. In other words, the man who's laying in bed, if he is without shame, then it means that he, of course, will get up and will help out his friend who is in need because that is who he is. That is a part of the character of who he is. He has to get up because that is who they are as a community. He has to help. There is no question. It would be a joke if he didn't get up. Likewise, of course God wants to hear our prayer. Of course God is interested in us. Of course God wants to be in relationship with us because it is who God is. It is a part of his character. For him to do, for him to do otherwise would be a joke. It's impossible. But then, of course, it's the shamelessness of the man who says, I need some bread, because he realizes that he is utterly dependent on this man for bread, and he has to get it. He has to get it. And the Smiths are the only place where he can get bread. He can't get it from the Joneses. He can't get it from the Nelsons. He can't get it from anyone else. And so he will not leave. He will not stop until he can get the bread. Likewise, a people of prayer are a people who are so understanding of their dependence on God that they will pray because they realize that it is only from God where they can be fulfilled in life. Only in God that they will be with him in life and in death and in resurrection. So the question then that we have to ask ourselves is what then is this parable teaching us about prayer? Right? I think usually when we think about the prayer or the, the question of the disciples, teach us how to pray. 
we tend to be a pragmatic people. So we tend to think that what the disciples are asking are, teach us about the mechanics of prayer. Tell me what I need to do, what words I need to say, what do I need to look like, what pose do I need to be in, uh, any of those kinds of things. That That's exactly what the disciples must mean. But it seems to me that's not the answer that Jesus gives because that's not actually the question that the disciples are asking. What are you saying, Jerry? Here's what I'm saying. I think the disciples are actually asking a more basic question than what are the mechanics. I think the disciples are actually asking, no, what we really mean here, Jesus, is how do we pray? How do we become a people who actually pray? We know we're supposed to. We feel plenty guilty when we don't. But what we really don't understand is how do we actually just start praying because we know we're not very good at it. One of the interesting things about this, about this passage, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but, 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 but just hear this first verse again. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. In other words, what were the disciples doing while Jesus was praying? Are they playing hopscotch? I mean, are they just chit-chatting and they're kind of just looking at, you know, trying to be quiet but waiting for Jesus to be done? They're not praying. And they watched Jesus. Jesus was praying all the time. And they realized, well, wait a second. We're not praying that much. And we, you know, it always makes you feel guilty, right? I mean, if you're ever around someone who, you know, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I couldn't take your phone call. I was praying. You always feel like, don't you? I, I do. I'm always like, oh, you too? Uh, so, um, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just, you know, and so, but, but most of us, you know, we're, we're kind of overachievers. And so we, we, we say, okay, I'll feel guilty enough and then I'll start praying more. Or you start off the new year and you say, okay, this year I'm going to start praying 15 minutes every day. I'm going to start small, right? And by January 3rd, you know, you're like nine minutes. I'm going to do nine minutes, right? And by January 8th, you know, it's like, I, you know, I think I prayed before I ate breakfast today. That should be good, right? And we just kind of go in and we, 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 we feel bad and we want to get more disciplined. And so we just try to be strong enough to say, no, we're going to start praying. We're going to start praying. And I think what Jesus is teaching here is that that's not the place to begin. That the actual place to begin to become a people who really know how to pray and who simply pray is A, by remembering and believing that you serve a God who is trustworthy and who wants to hear you and who wants to be in relationship with you. And then secondly, that you are a people who say we are utterly dependent on him. We believe that everything that we have and everything that we are is of, is of God. And if you can believe those two things, Jesus is saying, and if you actually believe them, then prayer will naturally begin to flow out. So think about this. What, you know, when, if you are in a difficult situation, uh, if you have, you got a bad prognosis from the doctor, if you lost your job, guess what you don't have, guess what you're not asking? You're not asking how to pray. You know why? Because you're praying. You're too busy praying to ask how to pray. You know it comes very naturally. Right? So what Jesus is trying to help him to see is, is you need to begin this. This needs to be a lifetime. And the way to begin doing that is not to feel guilty, but is to start focusing on how can I understand more deeply how faithful God is to me, how much God loves us, how much God wants to be in relationship, and how much I need him. 
So one of the ways it seems to me, I think I've brought this up before, um, a, a spiritual discipline that I think is remarkably helpful is what, um, is what Ignatius of Loyola called the daily examine, right? Where, where every night, perhaps, you would kind of sit back at the end of the day and you would look at, at what had happened previous and you would begin to say, where have I seen God? Where can I be grateful for the ways in which I've seen God at work? Where have I seen where God has been faithful to me? And then when have I seen, where have I seen where I have been dependent on him? And perhaps if it's not just a day, maybe it's a week or a month or a year that you need to go back over and begin to say, where have I seen God? You know, this is a good time, at least maybe, as I said at the prayer before the scripture, to just go over your summer and to just kind of say, where have I seen God this summer? Where have I seen the faithfulness of God? And where have I, you know, there been times when maybe I didn't see it and I thought God had abandoned me. But then all of a sudden, much to my surprise, I, I see that God was there all along. And that as you begin doing that more and more, then you begin to kind of start becoming more a person of gratitude, more a person of prayer. Uh, Meg had us, Megan had us start doing this as a family a few, uh, a few months ago. She's got this little journal that we started doing, right? And, 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 and it's kind of a every day when we come together as a family uh, at night, well, whenever we are together as a family at night around the dinner table, that, that, that she'll go around and we'll say, what are you thankful to God for, right? And, and now these aren't always the deepest of thoughts, quite frankly, you know. I mean, there are, there are times, you know, I mean, we, we, we never, we, we always start with our three-year-old because if you don't, then she'll always just say whatever her sister said right before that, right? And so we, you know, we learn that. We learn that Adelie, you know, she will always just say whatever she sees as she's looking out the window, you know. I'm thankful for trees or squirrels or that piece of trash that I see going across, whatever it is. I mean, that's just, it's whatever she sees, she puts in there. But the hope is, and we're not perfect at this, but the hope is that in these little steps that we begin to take as a family, these little steps that you begin to take as an individual, that the more that you begin to see how God has been at work, the more that you begin to be thankful for the way in which God has been faithful, that out of that will begin to spring forth this joy and this gratitude that cannot help but begin to become a prayer. That cannot help but begin to be something that continues on more and more and more. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Because you almost can't help it. That the more that you are grow deeper in God and see his faithfulness, the more that you feel how dependent you are, the more prayer just becomes to naturally start flowing out. So that if it's 6 o'clock or 9 o'clock or noon or 3 or midnight, there is a need that is within you or that comes upon you, you know beyond the shadow of a doubt, that you can go to God in prayer and that God will be there ready to receive your prayer because God is faithful, because God longs to be in relationship and because God knows just how dependent we are upon him. Teach us, Lord, how to pray. Let us be thankful until we can't help but pray. Amen.